0: Last week I asked the question, what is your picture of God? And the reason for asking it is that our picture of God, how we see God, affects the way that we live. Now this week I want to take that just a slight step further from where we left off in our previous talk, because we looked last week at the image that Jeremiah had of God and how robust and, um, in, a, in a sense, how free and wild his understanding of God was. And we had a look at the whole uh, issue of metaphor and how Jesus uses metaphor. How, when we looked at Jeremiah's prayer life, and uh, it, in some detail, how many images Uh, Jeremiah uses when he is addressing God and when he's talking to God and how, as I've said, robust his dialogue with God was and his understanding of who God was. He calls God an abandoned bridegroom, a fountain of living water, um, a wounded father, a lion, a wolf, a leopard, a potter, a man with heart trouble, a civil engineer. There's these rich, this rich language that Jeremiah has that he uses to describe who God is. He has an understanding of God that is essentially wide and uh, complex, and I think part of the reason for that is that um, when we have a particular static view of who God is, and it's not wrong the stuff that we understand of God because we generally all see God as a father as a parent we see him as creator uh, he comes to us as forgiving as a redeemer and there are so many things that we would say of God that we understand of who he is and those are all foundational and imperative in our understanding of our relationship with God and how he desires us to become but the thing that I was trying to um, grapple with last week was how much more there is of God. In the New Testament in the past, we've looked at that word that I so love, poikilos, that word that uh, describes anything that is multifaceted, multidimensional, variegated, complex. And I think we we see as Paul and Peter write, they talk about the poikilos wisdom of God and the grace of God, that God presents himself in his wisdom to us as multifaceted, multidimensional, complex. He comes to us in grace that is multi, multicolored, multidimensional, and in a, in a sense a little bit like a diamond with so many different faces that as the light strikes it, all the various colors of the world are reflected. And God is a little bit like that poikilos image, that complex, multifaceted, multidimensional image. And we constantly are looking to see uh, how God is reacting to us and how we experience Him. Now, part of what we looked at last week was the fact that um, so often... We don't want to be pilgrims on a journey towards a deeper and more profound and um, uh, a more maturing understanding of who God is. We want to always uh, slip back. And so my um, premise last week, in a sense, was the desire for God to be an unsettling God to us. And we looked at the image that Jeremiah used when he speaks of Moab about how God tips the wine from one pot to the other in Jeremiah 48, uh, verse 11 and 12, and how God um, unsettles, disturbs, so that we don't settle in the winemaking image of God. We don't settle on our lees, on the dregs, and that we are poured from one pot to the to another. And the other image I used was from Jeremiah 49, which was the image of the uh, Edomites who felt that they were uh, safe, they had built, metaphorically, they had built themselves into an impregnable place, a little bit like the eagle who builds his nest, nest on the cliff. And we went back to Deuteronomy chapter 32 and looked at the whole imagery around the eagle and how the eagle when it's time for them to have young, they choose a place on the side of a cliff and they build a nest out of twigs and branches that they weave together in a most amazing lattice work. And then they use mostly often their own down feathers to line it for the eggs that are laid and then the eaglets that are hatched. And as they're hatched, the mother... Uh, flies backwards and forwards in this almost seemingly never-ending process of feeding the young and bringing them to a place as they grow up. And we looked also, and this is where, where I want to really start today, we looked also at the way in which when the time has come, when they have become just too settled and too dependent and too demanding and they need to learn to stretch their wings and to fly and to experience what it was that they were actually created for, the mother begins to push them towards the end of the nest. She begins to break up the nest and, and, and encourage them towards the edge. And if they won't jump, which most of them don't apparently, then she nudges them over the edge one at a time. And they tumble through the air down the face of the cliff. And some of them take flight. Some of them don't. And the mother swoops down. And before they hit the bottom, she swoops under them. And instinctively, they grab onto her with their talons. And they hold onto her back for dear life. And she returns them to the nest or to the ledge where the nest is being broken up. And then she does it again. Until they get to the place where they, they stretch their wings and they, they, they learn to fly. They learn to experience the freedom that they were created for. And I'm saying that what God does for us, if we're going to live a life of faith, what he does is constantly unsettle us. When we have become dependent and settled and comfortable and we, we desire uh, the absolute certainty and control of our lives, To live by faith means to be constantly learning to stretch our wings in new circumstances, to be developing and growing into maturity. Now, God is an unsettling God. God is somebody who will not leave us to grow into big fat chicks that never fly. What he desires is for us to become who we are who he's created us to be, with all the with all the fullness of life, the abundance of life, the freedom that comes from being what he's created us to be. So he unsettles us from time to time when it's necessary. But that's not the only thing that he does. And I want to take you back uh, today to a, path, a passage that makes sense even more of that um, passage from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32, where the where the image of the eagle unsettling the nest and the eaglets flying, comes right at the end of Moses' life. Moses has been through his growth in Pharaoh's court. He's run away into the desert. He's grown up in the land of Midian. He's married. He's gone back to Egypt. He's led them, uh, the people of Israel, the children of Israel, he's led them out after this extended confrontation with Pharaoh and they've crossed the sea and they were meant to move towards the land of promise. That was the purpose for being set free from Egypt. They were to move towards the land of promise. But they get stuck. They, they preferred, they wanted, they longed for the leeks and onions of Egypt. This whole thing of God lead them, leading them with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud and providing and being Jehovah-Jireh to them with with water and manna every day and quail. It was too uncertain. It was too unpredictable. It was didn't feel like they could get their teeth into it. And so they spend, and we won't go into all of that now, but they spend this huge amount of time close to 40 years, wandering, being formed as a people in the desert. Not exactly how it was supposed to be. And at the end of his life, Moses is handing over, and in Deuteronomy 31 and 32, and the whole ending of Deuteronomy, Moses teaches Israel a song. And into this song is woven this image of the eagle and the eaglets and being carried on the wings and learning to fly and to grow to maturity. But that's not the first time Israel has heard of this. And taking you back to Exodus 19 is this magnificent moment where uh, the whole drama of leaving Egypt with the thousands of people who have plundered the Egyptians and they've left and they've put the blood on their lintels and their firstborn have been saved and the Egyptians have, have experienced the suffering that that brought. And then the, the, the high intensity of knowing that the Egyptians are chasing after them with this massive military machine, with their horses and chariots, with these unarmed slaves in the middle of the desert. And how God saves them, rescues them, how they go through the baptism of the, of the sea and come out the other side and are safe. And a little way further into the journey, this is what happens. It's the third month, it says in chapter 19, after the sons of Israel had gone out from the land of Egypt and they came into the wilderness of Sinai and they set up camp and it goes on and it says, Moses went up to God. Moses goes up the mountain at Sinai and the Lord calls to him from the mountain and says this, I'll read it in full. This is what you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel. You, yourselves, you yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. The first time after the liberation of being set free, of being redeemed from Egypt by God, the first time Moses goes up the mountain and God speaks to him, this is the image that he gives. He says, I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. God bears us on wings, of he, 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 he bears us on his eagle wings and brings us to himself. And that's the imagery that Moses reinvokes. He's saying to the children of Israel, this is what God did. You had been in the nest in Egypt, you had become used to being slaves, you had a certain way of thinking, a pattern of behavior. And God unsettled that whole thing and liberated you into a new freedom. You were facing stuff that you'd never faced before. Yes, you were in a desert. You were in a totally foreign and hostile world. But I was guiding you with a pillar of fire and a pillar of um, uh, um, cloud. I was feeding you with, with quail and with manna. I was giving you water to drink. I was your God. I was looking after you. You were becoming the people that I actually intended you to become. A people who lived in freedom, not as slaves in the land of Egypt. It took them a long time and God, Moses is, is reawakening for them that sense that it's God who carries them out of Egypt. He's the one who, like the mother eagle, unsettled them and got them out the nest so that they could become what he wanted them to be. Because he goes on to say, now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, there's a condition, then you will be my own possession. And the best translation of that in Hebrew, apparently, is my special treasure. If you will obey me, if you will just do what I tell you to do, if you will live in this particular way, you will be my treasured possession. You will be my special people. And I will make you a kingdom of priests. Now we'll come back to that in a second. But I want you to grasp today. This is the whole thing. God carries us. He he unsettles us. But then he carries us into a place where we are able to live in a way that is full and free. Now, let me take you to another passage that is lovely. Unfortunately, this passage is so often used only at um, funerals. It goes like this. It's 2 Corinthians. It's right at the beginning of 2 Corinthians. It's quite interesting that it's the first concrete thing that Paul says to the Corinthians in the second letter that he writes to them. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and now verse 3. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. The word that is used here for comfort, and we're going to read it a little bit further on now, the word comes up over and over and over again in this passage. And it may be this that Paul is trying to drive home to the to the Corinthians. It comes from the, the word in Greek, parakletos. It's the word, it's got different forms here. The verb is used in different ways, but it's that word that is used. And he says here, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. It's God who comforts. God is our comforter. God is the one who encourages us. God is the one who looks after us. He's the one who consoles and encourages us in every part of our lives. So when I talk about God as the God who is unsettling, yes, he unsettles us when we have become used to our ways in slavery, our ways of being um, pegged down and held under and oppressed. God comes as the eagle and he bears us out. He unsettles us. He sets us out to go. And it is difficult. It is for us a little bit like the children of Israel leaving Egypt. It was unsettling in the sense that the desert was a hostile place. It was different. They'd never experienced this. They had grown up as slaves, being told what to do most of the time. They had, in a a very real sense, had food and drink and shelter and now they were exposed and it was it seemed to be just so hard to to get a, a real understanding of what was going on moses was going up the mountain and and god carries them out but he he is at that point also the god of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles now on wednesday's meditation that's coming up i'll talk a little bit more about our current context and the world that we live in at the moment in this in this regard, but he comforts us in all our troubles. We are at a point in our lives, in our history, in our country, where we are going to need to, to know for certain that yes, we have been unsettled and we have been brought out of a land of Egypt, out of us and out of all the the stuff that holds us back from growing up. But that God also is a God of all comfort. There is no trouble, there is no circumstance, there is no set of um, uh, things that happen to us where God is not able to be a comfort to us. And it goes on to say this, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those In any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And he goes on. That word comfort over and over and over again. Parakletos. Now, parakletos is the word that Jesus uses when he's talking to his disciples, the twelve, and he's taken them to the upper room. It's the last last little bit of his life. The triumph, triumphal entry has taken place. They are in the upper room. There is just the twelve or the thirteen of them. In the room, Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and we have that, that, that powerful imagery. And then just a little bit further on, in chapter 14, in the same narrative, in the same process, where Jesus is speaking to them and, and saying all the things he's saying to them in, the, in this upper room before he goes out to Gethsemane and is arrested and tried and crucified. He says this to them. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John chapter 14 and verse 16 says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another parakletos, that he may be with you forever. The comforter, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, This spirit, this dove that comes to us now, Jesus says, you will have trouble in this world. He said that, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And this is what he's saying to his disciples. I will send you a comforter, somebody who will hold you, somebody who will carry you, someone that you can trust, somebody that will be able to deal with and help you with all the troubles and the tribulation and all the difficulties of every facet of your life. The image that Moses uses of the eagle is to remind Israel that they are held by God. He is the one who bore them out of Egypt on wings of an eagle. What Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, what Jesus is saying to his disciples, is that this God who who bears us on His wings is doing it to bring us a sense of peace and comfort in the midst of all the troubles and tribulations that we have? Exodus nineteen is a is a powerful passage and a powerful image, and I want to end with this and say this. Two Corinthians. When Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he's talking about the way in which God comforts us, he is the God of all comforts us, God of all comfort, says these very powerful words in the middle of it. He says, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received. It's very easy for us, when we are going through a difficult time, when we are facing uncertainties of, on, on all uh, sides, to be worried about how we experience it, to be concerned about what is God doing to us and for us as individuals, as a church. What Paul is saying to the Corinthians is, don't forget, the God of all comfort, He does comfort us. He does hold us. He does carry us. He does provide for us with manna and water, with a a pillar of fire and direction through life's journey. He he unsettles us and, and gets us going so that we can live a life of fullness and abundance and faith. But we must never forget that we are like Israel, called to be a kingdom of priests. So God says to Israel in Exodus 19, I've, I brought you out. I bore you out of Egypt on eagle's wings. I protected you. I looked after you. I made sure you were developing into what you were meant to be. A kingdom of priests. And you are my special treasure if you be obedient to me. And we must be obedient to what God calls us to. In the sense that, Just as we have received comfort, as we have the capacity to call on God and lean on Him. And know that He will swoop down and hold us when we fall. Know that we will be held and taken further. Our role is to be that kind of presence for our neighbors, our family, our friends, the people we come into contact with. The world is a scary place enough, even when we have God as the one who holds us. And our role is to say to those who are lost and alone, who struggle with all kinds of different things, and as the world gets more and more uncertain and unsettled, to be those who comfort those around us with the comfort that we have been comforted. God gives us the Parakletos, the paraclete, the comforter. Not only that we may be comforted and experience the fullness of God, but that we in turn are able to comfort those that we come into contact with.